I got it. Yeah, thanks. Amen. Wow. That's a blessing. Makes me nervous when he says, let me borrow your mic. I don't know what's going to happen. What a great way to start this new year. Uh, we're just honored to have you. We're, we're glad to have uh, Pastor Lawrence and April Thomas with us right here. Stand up, guys, where they can see you if they don't know you. We love these guys. It's precious. We're honored to have you guys with us today. Everybody stand as we read the word. Our custom is to stand for the reading of the word. Amen. I mean, those, uh, that this, you know, this, these kind of services, of course, the first one of the new year, you kind of expect, uh, and I think that's a healthy way to look at, look at it, the, the, the new year. Romans 5.17 says, the Apostle Paul, and it's kind of hard to interrupt the Apostle Paul, once he gets started, this whole fifth chapter is he's talking about what Adam did, how he plunged us into sin. and uh, But then he ends the chapter by talking about what Christ accomplished and how he delivered us from that. And uh, here in verse 17, I'm just going to read one verse. It says, for if by the one man's offense, talking about Adam, of course, death reigned through the one, much more. I love these big words that the Apostle Paul used, much more. Those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness. You see that righteousness is a gift. You don't achieve it, you receive it. And it says we'll reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. I love the big words in that little verse. Uh, and... It says it will reign in life. And I kind of wanted to start this uh, first Sunday of this year. And, and we, we're not under life. We're not under the circumstances of life. But we are to reign in life. And um, the Bible, it's not just in this one verse that it uses these over-the-top uh, phrases. You find it all throughout the New Testament. Paul used words that says like, he said that God always causes us to triumph. Always. That's some big stuff. It says that we are not just conquerors, but that'd be enough if it just said we were conquerors. But it said that you are more than conquerors through uh, him who loved us. And so these uh, big, big words, not just grace, but the abundance of grace. Uh, not just more, but much more. So you see this phraseology that Paul used. He just kept trying to push it to the extreme because it's like you have permission from God to try to exaggerate his goodness because you're not going to win. You're going to fail at it because he's better than we ever imagined that he is or was. Can you say amen to that? So December has rolled out and uh, now we have a brand new year before us. Maybe you haven't even messed up yet already. I mean, you just had a few days in, so... Somebody bought you a new daytime or something. It's completely blank. You got the whole year ahead of you. And uh, you say, you know what? This year, I want it to be different than it was last year. And uh, I, I don't really, don't, don't, you know, I don't want to offend you, but I don't get too excited about, you know, everybody's proclamations. I found out when we got into the teen years, I'm, I'm talking about like 2013, 2014, a lot of that prophetic jingles dropped off because they couldn't make it rhyme you know but you remember back in two, two you know it's 2007 it's going to be heaven you know 2008 is going to be great you know 2009 everything's fine you know that, that 2010 let's do it all again or whatever come on y'all <laughs> but i noticed that all you know all that kind of dropped off in the when we got into the it's hard to make something rhyme with 19 <laughs> i mean or, but don't fear 20's coming up you know so we'll They'll start back. But the most important thing for this year being different is not dependent upon God, but upon us. Believing in God and yielding ourselves to him. Amen? So let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Holy Spirit, we just ask you to illumine our hearts and minds with the word just to, to give that revelation. Let this truly be a year of revelation of your goodness, of, of Jesus. That's what the whole book of Revelation is. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And Lord, let that revelation become more to us this year than ever before. We love and praise you for this year, giving us a new year before us. Help us to, to yield ourselves to your purposes, to your plans. And we pray that and declare it in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Look at somebody, tell them happy new year. Shake your hand before you sit down. Welcome to Grace Point. Amen. You may be seated. Wasn't the praise and worship awesome today? Man, they they always do a good job. This is extra good today. But you know, when we hear a message like that, like, uh, Lord, I want to reign in life. I want to do better. And so very often, instead of actually reading what the verse uh, 17 there says, uh, this is how we start thinking. We start thinking like, well, you know, I want to reign in life. I, I want to do better in 2019 than I uh, did in 2018. As far as not trying to be better to get God to like you, we understand that that's not what it's about here. But just trying to, to have a more uh, fruitful life in 2019. And so if we're not careful, we won't even read what the verse actually says, how we reign in life. And we'll start thinking like this. Now, we'll say, what, what can I do? to reign in life? What can I do to, you know, to do what pastor said, to reign in 2019? What can I do to do it? I I know what I'll do. I'm going to get up uh, extra early uh, every morning this year. I'm going to set my alarm clock, and and I'm going to get get up earlier, and I'm going to pray more, and I'm going to read my Bible more, and I'm going to read my Bible every day, and and, uh, that's how I'm going to reign in life this year. And and don't misunderstand me. I'm, I'm for praying, and I'm for reading the Bible. But you're missing the point if you think that that's how you reign through life. And you're actually doing the very thing that doesn't lead to life but leads to religious bondage. And uh, Paul was so strong on the Galatian people in the, this little epistle to the Galatians. Uh, he actually says in, in Galatians 5 and verse 4, he said, You have become estranged or separated or divorced really from Christ. You who attempt, everybody say attempt. Because that's all it is, that you're just attempting something. He says to be justified, the word justified is the exact same word that's often translated righteous. So it's either justified or made righteous. It means the same thing. So he said you have become estranged from Christ when you have attempted to be made righteous or justified by law. You have fallen from grace. Now, in our culture, when somebody says somebody has fallen from grace... They don't think about it in terms of what the Bible says. They think that means they ran off with their secretary and they have fallen from grace, right? That's, what, that's how the culture sees, you know, well, you know, this politician has fallen from grace. This minister has fallen from grace. This person has fallen from grace. And then it's followed by whatever sin they committed to fall from grace, right? And, uh, but here, Paul says the way you fall from grace is you attempt to use the law of God to be acceptable to God. In other words, you attempt to be justified for God to like you, to be pleased with you, to accept you based on what you do uh, in uh, keeping the law. And so if you're not careful, the same thing that happened to the people in Galatia will happen to us because Paul went there, he established a church, he preached the gospel there, and then behind the apostle Paul came these people called the Judaizers. And they came in there and they said, now we're glad that you're, you know, have come into the kingdom uh, these Judaizers, of course, are, are Israelites, and they said, we've you know, known God for thousands of years as, as a people, and we can help you, uh, Galatians, because of y'all's ignorance, we can help you to be better Christians. And so this is what you need to do. You need, first of all, to be circumcised. I know Paul didn't tell you to, but we're telling you that's what you need to do to be acceptable to God, because Abraham was, and you need to get circumcised. And they go... Okay, and then he says, you need to, you know, stop going to Red Lobster because you can't eat that no more. Uh, You need to change your diet. You can't have that. You need to stop this and stop that. And before long, these people were so laden down with rules and regulations that when Paul wrote them, I mean, he come on them strong and he said, who bewitched you? Who deceived you? And he was so angry because they had, he said, they had begun in the spirit, but now they were trying to finish in the flesh by what they were doing. And so we do the same thing today. We preach the gospel to people that don't know Jesus, tell them how great God is, how good God is. You know, they're lost. We want them to get saved. And as soon as they get saved, if you're not careful, somebody will help them. 
<laughs> in a bad way. Oh, well, can I help you? Can I help disciple you? I'm glad you're in the kingdom. Welcome to the family of God. Glory to God. Let's start meeting at the Waffle House one day a week for, you know, coffee, and, and I'll help disciple you. And so you meet, you know, and he goes, you know, you, you should, probably shouldn't wear your hair like that, you know. And, you know, you can't eat that, so I would you know. And then you need to have your daily quiet time. Do you have a quiet time? You have your daily quiet And before long, you just start piling on the rules and the regulations to be acceptable. And that's not what Paul intended when he said reigning in life. Because he says we're going to do that through the one Jesus Christ. Can you all say amen? And then Paul says in Romans 6, 14, For sin shall not have dominion over you. You are not under law but under grace. Now what does that mean you're not under law? Now this is where we're going to move into the quiet time of our service. And I'm not asking you to literally do this because I'm not trying to trick you, play games or none of that. But if I was to ask you, and I'm not asking you, okay? But if I were to ask you, how many of you think that Christians are not under the law, you know, lift your hand. And then if I say, well, how many of you think that you're still under the law? How many of you think that the Ten Commandments apply to you today? And how many of you don't think they apply to you today? If I really put you through that little test this morning first off you wouldn't like it second it would make you nervous and third you'd be trying to look to one of the leaders to see which you know hand they're going to raise up to which what you know what's what which you know what's the elders doing which hand are the, you know what are they doing you know and uh and i wouldn't do that to you but this is what paul said in romans chapter seven let's just look at a couple of verses here romans seven verse one is it okay to read the bible on the first sunday of the year he says, Paul loved this phrase. He says, or do you not know? He's always talking to them like, come on, guys, don't you know this? And he's talking to, to brethren, to Christians. He said, don't you know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. Now, that sounds pretty final. He has dominion over the man as long as he lives. So as long as you live, you're under the law. That's what Paul's telling them, right? For the woman who has a husband is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then, if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law. How? Through the body of Christ. That you may be married, look at this, to another, to him who has raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been, past tense, delivered from what? From the law. Having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now Paul started out and said, now don't you know this or do you not know this? And so this is what the the picture he uses. He says the law is like our husband. And we are married to the law. And the law is right. So the law is our husband and we're the wife, we're the bride. We're, and so we're married to this husband and, and, and the law is always right. The husband is always right. Okay? He has authority over us because he's our husband. The law, you see in the picture. And, and what the law does very well, he points out our sins. He's quick to point out our sins, our shortcomings, our failures, our faults. But listen to this. He never lifts a finger to help us. He, the husband, the law, will never die. He'll never die. And he's always right. He is never wrong. And so it's like being married to some husband who is always right, who is perfect, who points out your failures, but will lift not a finger to help you. How many women is looking for a man like that? Glory to God. Mm -hmm. Three women said, I'm married to her. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. So Paul says, since the law will never die, then he said that something had to happen to free us from the law, so we had to die. So how did we die to the law? 
the Bible says that we die to the law through the body of Jesus, through the body of Christ. Is that right? Romans 7 and 6 says, but now we have been delivered. The word delivered there is a Greek word that means to be discharged. It's probably the clearest understanding would be like for so many of our, our, our people here that have served in the Air Force or some armed forces, and you've served in that. And while you were in the, the military, you were bound even by law, to, to that military. If they say go, you go. If they say come, you come. They can send you where they want to and so forth. And so, you know, when the person of higher rank, you know, commands you to do something, you, ha- you have to do it. And you're, you're bound by that. So what happens here, Paul said, but now we have been delivered, discharged from the law, having died to what we were held by so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. So you, what this is is that Paul is saying, you no longer have a relationship with the law. No, not any longer. In other words, it's like you've been in the service 20 years, you know, the sergeant's yelling all this, stop this, do this, come here, go there, and then, you know, you've been discharged. You've received your honorable discharge, you are out of the military, and you're walking across the grounds, and you see the sergeant, he hollers and says, you know, hey, come here. And you go, you start to go. And you go, well, wait a minute. (laughs) You can't tell me what to do anymore, man. I'm, I'm out of the military. I have been discharged. I've got my papers. I'm free. Have a nice day, Sarge. Peace out. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you're through with that. As a believer, you're not bound by the law. You're not bound by the law because Paul said you've been freed from it by death of the body of Jesus. Now, Paul's favorite analogy was always in Christ or in Adam. In Adam all die, in Christ all live. And so 1 Timothy 1, 8 and 9 says, but we know that the law is good. So I'm not here saying, you know, sometimes people that preach grace are accused of saying, well, the law is bad and, you know, bad law and all that. No, no, no. Paul said the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Now, what is the lawful use of of the law, the Ten Commandments. And, the, and it's more than just the Ten, but that's what people think of a lot of times, in our culture at least. So what, what is it? He said the law is good if one uses it lawfully. That's First Timothy 1 and 8. He says knowing this, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. Now, let me say this. When you're born again, you are, you are righteous in Christ, right? So if you're not righteous, you're not born again. Or you are born again and you're just totally ignorant of the fact that you are righteous. Not just in God's eyes. You are righteous because God says you are. Because he has made you so. Right? So he says, knowing this, that the law is not made for righteous person, but for the lawless and the insubordinate, for the ungodly, for sinners, for the unholy, for the profane, murderers, fathers, murderers of mothers, and manslayers. Now how many wants to be under the law? Because that's who it's for. So why does Paul phrase it like that? The law lives on today but what the law does today is it's shouting out to sinners God's requirements so that that they will recognize their need for a savior who is Jesus Christ he's the only way amen and so he says God did all of this so that you could be freed from the law and you could be married to another and he says this other one is Christ and he said not only you'd be married to him that you should go and bear fruit now, let me tell you about when we was in a relationship with law. There is no record in the, the uh, relationship that we had with the law that it was ever fruitful. In other words, your old husband was not fruitful. He didn't cause you to bear fruit. But Galatians 3.21 says that, that, that is the law then against the promises of God? He says, no, certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. So Paul says, if there was a law, that we could come up with that would bring and make people right with God, then we would use it. So now listen to this now. And Pastor Keith and people have been with me so a long time. They, they heard me make this statement and aggravate religious people 20 years ago. Because I said, I'm not going to help you get the 10. I know you're going to get mad at this. And I know, I'm, you know, hey, what, hey, Facebook. So you send them, I delete them. Hallelujah. Uh, but, you know, I'm not going to help you get the Ten Commandments posted anywhere. I'm not going to help you get the Ten Commandments. I will help you get John 3.16 if you'll include 17. 
if you'll include verse 17, which says, everybody knows pretty much John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever would believe in him, just believe in him. There's no reason for you to perish because that's what's going to happen. You're going to perish. But he would give life to everybody that would just believe in him. And then the next verse said that he didn't come to the world. God didn't send Jesus to condemn the world, but that the world through him would be saved. I'll help you with that one. Where can I make a donation? But I'm not going to help you get the Ten Commandments posted in the school, in your front yard on the little placard. Now, don't get mad if you got one and leave it up if you want to. It ain't my yard. But Paul said if the law was going to save people, then let's go to every school and every place and post the law and let them read the law and let them keep the law and let them be made righteous by keeping the law. But Paul says it's impossible. It's just a vain attempt. He said, what makes a man righteous is a person, and his name's Jesus. And when you put your faith in him, you have fulfilled the law in totality through Christ, who kept the law without spot, without error, without sin. Christ did not come to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And, and Christ kept the law totally. Totally. And so that keeping of the law with 100% accuracy has been accredited or deposited in us. So in that regard, we have kept the law through him. And we have been declared righteous through him. And we have been saved through him. And, and that's why if you're going to have a year to reign in life, you're going to have to start out knowing that that's how we, that we reign in life. Paul actually uses the, 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 uh, the strong words in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, he says, he says the law is a ministry of death. Uh, it's written and engraved on stones. Do we not know what was written and engraved on stones? So Paul makes it extremely clear what he's talking about. And then in verse 9 of that same chapter, he calls it a ministry of condemnation. That's the law's purpose, is to, is to make sin exceedingly sinful. And Paul said in Galatians 3.24 that the law was our schoolmaster, and his purpose was to bring us into Christ. Why? So that we could be justified by faith in him. So the law is like this. The law is like the school bus. It brings you to school, but once it's done that, it's accomplished what its purpose was to do. You, you see that? The law brings us to the place that we realize that we, it's impossible for us to meet those standards, and so Christ brings us into that. And so if we're going to walk in that, and we're going to be married now to a husband that's going to make us fruitful. Jesus said, if you'll abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. And what fruit is he talking about? He's talking about Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. It's, it's the fruit of the Spirit, that love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith, long-suffering. All that is the fruit, not fruits, of the Spirit. And so sometimes when you hear people, and people have a whole college uh, courses and they spend years and, and, and especially people that study and travel they'll go you know like all over the world and they'll say there's you know literally hundreds of thousands of different religions in the world and I, and I see where they get that and, and there's whole sections of study where you can study all the religions of the world and some people study all the religions of the world to try to find which one's the best but really there's only two religions in the world totally two there is the religion of works, and then there is the religion of the blood of Jesus. That's it. So all those other religions, when you strip them down to their bare bones, it's all about what the person's going to do to be accepted by some deity. Right? I mean, it really, it is. So it doesn't matter how they package it. It all boils down to that. And you can trace that all the way back. And if, can I just talk out of my heart and not have to flip to every verse here for a second? But if you, you trace that back in Genesis, and, and, and so you've got Adam and Eve, and then you've got Cain and Abel. And so Cain murders Abel, his brother, and uh, brothers have been killing each other ever since. And it was a religious killing. It was a war of religion. And so what started that? What, what, what led to that murder? Well, in, in the Bible, it says that Cain and Abel both brought sacrifices to God. You can read this in, in Genesis. But it, it says that to Abel's sacrifice, 
God accepted Abel and his sacrifice, and both of that, uh, uh, you know, was acceptable to God, had God's favor on it. But when Cain brought his offering to the Lord, neither him nor his offering was favored by God nor acceptable to God. And uh, that really bothered him. Are you with me? So why was uh, Cain's not accepted and why was Abel's offering acceptable? There's no way you could ever make me believe that Adam and Eve did not talk to their sons and their family. They had many more sons just besides those two, but focusing on these two. And that he did not tell them about what happened in the garden. And he did not tell, that he did not tell them about the animal sacrifice. In other words, the first shedding of blood in the garden was God. Taking animals and, and, and sacrificing blood of those animals to make skins, garments, coverings, right? For Adam and Eve. All right? So there was blood shed right from the very beginning. And, and you've got to believe that, that Abel knew that. And, and Cain as well. And so this is what it boils down to, guys. Listen to me. Abel put his faith... In other words, listen, Cain and Abel both had faith. So in this regard, it's not a question of faith. It's what your faith is in. Because faith is not faith in faith. Faith is faith in a person. See, Jesus is the way. I don't need you to come up with a way to the way. See, religion is trying to come up with a way to the way, and we don't need that because we already have the way. We don't need a way to the way. Or I don't need five ways to the way. Jesus is the way. Am I making sense? That sounded bad to my ears, but you got the interpretation. You know what I meant, right? So Abel is not, listen to this, faith, New Testament faith is never um, something that you do or initiate. That may sound strange to your ears, but New Testament faith is always a response to something that God has done. So what is Abel responding to that God has done? Abel is responding to the sacrifice of blood for dealing with sin and the condition. Now, we're not saying that animal sacrifice or blood of animals takes away sin because Hebrews is clear on that. But all those things from that first shedding of blood was pointing to the blood that would be shed, which is Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So, so what Abel does is his faith is a response to what God had already accomplished and done. And so what he does is he offers an animal sacrifice uh, to the Lord. Well-pleasing, acceptable, favor of God. What uh, Cain does is he brings a fruit basket. He brings a vegetable basket, fruit basket, whatever. And he brought the sweat of his brow and what his hands and diligence had produced. And that's the difference in the two religions of the world. You're either trusting in what you have produced, what you can offer God. Man is always wanting God to be impressed with what he's done. Look how much I prayed today. Look how many verses I read. Look how long I fasted. Look at this, look at that. And, and all those things that I just named, I'm not saying are evil by no means. They're beneficial and fruitful, but you've got to do it with the right reason. When I used to fast, you know, and, and, and read the Bible years ago, I was doing it for brownie points with God. Because as a pastor, if I, and, and there was weeks and months and, I mean, months after months after months, that if I didn't fast every week, I felt like I'd failed God as a, as a pastor. And so, I mean, all the stuff that you could do, I've tried all of it. I tried to keep the literal Sabbath, you know, and I mean keep it. I don't mean like pretend to keep Friday night sundown, Saturday night sundown, don't mow your yards, don't do anything, just hide out with God, you know, and then I would go to church on Sunday and approach the pulpit and I'd expect like the bombs to go off. And I'd be so disappointed. Like, God, didn't you see me keeping the Sabbath? You know. Or if you go on a three-day fast that week as a pastor, you know, you know how this is, and you come to the pulpit, I mean, you expect just the, you know, atomic spiritual bomb to go off in the service. And you go there, and it could be like half the people don't show up, and it's dead as a wedge, and you go, my God, did you not see my fasting this week? I mean, what? 
You see, the motive and the purpose behind all that was so wrong. Because I was trying to get God to do more, like me more, respond more, react more, because of what I was doing. Now when I fast, you know what it does? It just helps you hear better. So I'm not saying you shouldn't fast, you know. Now I don't like it. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm in the habit of eating, as you can tell. But if you're doing it to try to get God to answer your prayer, desperation, listen to me, is not the same thing as faith. Well, let me make a few more people mad. Some of you think that if you get more people praying for your need, you've got a better chance of God answering it. And that's the whole idea behind uh, prayer chains. Good morning. We're glad you're here. Uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't have prayer chain. <laughs> but I'm saying if you believe that God won't hear your prayer and you're his kid and that God won't be true to his word because he's not a liar and you have to go get some super duper, super powerful person to pray because God hears their prayer or let's get sister so-and-so to pray because they know how to get a prayer through. Prayer through What? See, because the only reason you say pray through because you think God's up there. I thought you told me that Jesus came into your heart. So if you want to pray to God, look right there. He's four inches away. That's what you said. You said he lives in you. You're in him. He's in you. Well, I'm, I'm just trying to pierce the heavens, really. Because we're not trying to pierce the heavens. Remember a while back I went to a praise, uh, pastor wanted us to come, to, you know, wanted me and uh, Jill to come to, to support a meeting. We went. It's been a while back. And um, I remember I, I told my wife, you know, after about the third song of the praise leader, I said, I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted for me listening to this, and I'm exhausted for that guy. Because the whole thing through each of the songs and every, through every pause, well, he was trying to get us to press in. Breakthrough, pierce the heavens, you know, and all that. And I'm like, this brother's trying to knock a hole in the heavens. And he don't even know Jesus already did that. So Isaiah 64, 1, oh God, that thou would rend the heavens and come down. It was appropriate in Isaiah's day to pray that. Because the heavens had not been rended yet and the Savior has not come down. But it is inappropriate to pray for an open heaven today. Because the heavens are open, they're only closed between your ears. But if you believe the heavens are closed, you'll spend and waste a lot of prayer time trying to get them open, which they're already open. The Bible said in Revelation, there is a door open in heaven, and that door is Jesus, and it's open. John said, I saw a door open in heaven, and the door is Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the door. It's not closed. There is no closed heaven. Well, you don't know where I live. It's just closed in that area. Or my bit, it's all in your mind. But if you're going to overcome and reign in 2019, you're going to have to believe the Bible that the heaven is not closed over you, your marriage, your business, your children, your life. It's not closed. You are walking, living, and breathing under an open heaven. The door is open. You're in the Spirit. It is the Lord's day. It's not just for John in Revelation. And that is the revelation of Jesus Christ, that I live under an open heaven. I am in the Spirit every day. This is the Lord's day. And God just says to him, come up here, son. Come up here. Live above this world and the thoughts of this world. Come up here, son. I want to show you some stuff this year. I want you to see my dreams for you and what I have for you. And God dreams so many dreams for you, and he gives them away to you in the night. In this series we started last week, we're going to talk about dreams here in a couple of weeks. Man, dreams are so important. God still does that. New Testament's filled with it. And I think sometimes we miss those dreams and we marginalize those dreams. Sometimes it ain't pizza. Sometimes it's the Holy Ghost. (laughs) Amazing things that God wants to reveal to you. But you've got to believe the Bible that you're not cursed, you're not under a curse. You're not, no, no, you, you live, breathe under an open heaven. So this year, you know, what, what, you know how we, we, we're calling this reforming, and, or reframing rather, reframing. 
And, and the, you know, Hebrews 11, the great faith, hall of faith, you know, it talks about that we understand that the worlds, it uses plurality there, worlds were framed by the word of God. And if you can receive this, and I know some of you grow weary of this, but we talked about it last Sunday. And if you missed that, please get on the podcast and check it out. Because you have to have a different, when you have a different perspective of God, then your mind begins to be renewed. That's what repentance is. Think differently. About what? About God. And, and so you begin to think differently, and then you begin to align your language with the way that you're thinking. See, the reason the tongue and, and what we say is so important because we're really speaking out of the heart. The, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you're constantly speaking despair, defeat, depression, all that stuff, then it's really because it's, it's residing, you know, in, in your heart, man, you know, in the soul. You, you, you're speaking out of that, and your thinking has to change. And that's what coming to church is about. I mean, you're getting the word of God. See, if the truth is what sets you free, this the, the truth. See, it, listen to this. In 2019, man, you got to have hope. Some people discount hope. Others faith. Hope is like the potting soil for the seed faith to go into. So you can have the greatest faith, but if you don't have any soil to plant that, it's not going to produce the fruit that you desire. So hope is kind of like that. So we need hope. So, you know, Romans 5 says, Paul said that our hope doesn't disappoint. Why? Because it's grounded in the love of God. And so, I, I, listen, guys, I just want you to have hope for this year. I want to have hope for this year. I, too, I, I want 2019 to be better for me. I didn't enjoy open heart surgery last year. I don't want to repeat that in 2019. So I want it to be better. I want it to be different. I am better. Health-wise, I'm better, and I'm so glad for that. I'm glad there's technology and medical science to do all that. But I don't want to ride the ride again. You know what I'm saying? Some of you, there's things you went through in 2018. You don't want to do that. You don't want to do overs on that, right? No, man, no. No. <laughs> yes. Amen. But so how's that going to happen? Just start the year, man, with hope. First, hope in God, obviously. So when we say hope in God, what are we talking about? We're talking about hope in God. Why? Because God is good. And I know I say it often. I love it. Paul said like this, man, don't you understand it is the goodness of God that leads men to change the way they think, repentance? It is the goodness of God that leads. I mean, just the other day I was downtown and there was a guy on the corner and he was yelling and hell and fire and brimstone and screaming at me while I was waiting at the traffic light, you know. I'm like, that guy ain't winning nothing. Nobody to the kingdom. He just helps to solidify the stigma that all Christians are nuts. <laughs> and we're not all nuts. Some of us are flakes. Hallelujah. Some of you know what. But that's not what's going to bring people to Jesus, screaming at them at the traffic light that they're going to hell. Turn or burn. You know, you decide smoking or non-smoking for your eternal destiny and all that. None of that stuff's going to work. But so many people don't know that. So many churches don't know that. But it's the goodness of God. When we tell people about the goodness and the love of God, that's what caused them to begin to change their mind first about God. And so in this year, you just have hope. And the Bible's filled with those words. You study it out. Rejoice in hope. Always have hope. Paul said that's so important to, to you being able to reign in life is to have hope. And so to, to, to have hope in this year that things are going to be different because you're going to respond to what Jesus has done differently maybe than you did last year. You're not going to offer to God the sacrifice that Cain did, the sweat of your brow, the performance, all that stuff. You're going to offer him the only thing that's acceptable. You're going to offer the blood of Jesus. And when you really study that, I don't have time to go through all these verses, but when you study out everywhere it says the blood, the blood, the blood of Jesus in the New Testament, it's amazing. So you don't waste time anymore praying to get close to God. Here goes another one. Brother, I just want to be close to God this year. Really. Are you born again? You can't get any closer. I'm going to, that's so good I'm going to take a drink on that one. 
And see, the reason you're so quiet, though you've heard it ten times, is you don't believe it. And any time you waste trying to get closer to God is an indictment against the truth of the Scripture that says that you have been brought nigh in Ephesians by one thing, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. And once you've been brought nigh by the blood, what is what force is more powerful than the blood that can make you unnigh? I know that's bad grammar, but let's just use King James lingo. Paul said, you who were far off, you who were out of the commonwealth of the blessings of Israel, out of the covenant, you who were lost without God and without hope in this world, you were once that way, but now you have been made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so when I put out a blog last year or something, you know, whatever it was, about, you know, stop trying to get close to God, man, did people feel the need to correct my theology on Facebook, not you guys. That's why sometimes when you boost them post and it really goes out there far, man, them people are mean. They ain't got nothing to do but sit around and attack and criticize, you know. And it was just like, you know, I was preaching heresy. Because you know why? They don't believe they're close to God. That's why you got to go get that person over there to pray for your mama because that person is close to God. Which is saying, I'm not close. And what are you judging your closeness or proximity or distance from God based on? Your performance. Hello, Cain. (laughs) Right? What you're offering to God. And if you would live 2019 knowing that I am never apart from God, I am always close to Him. I may not, and I understand, listen, come on now, I get it. What you're really expressing is you don't feel close to God. But I'm saying your feelings are not accurate. Let the Word of God take precedence over what you feel. Let the Word of God be yea and amen. Let every man be a liar. But let the Word of God be truth in your life. And so you just know and you live knowing that I'm close to God. And you don't say those ridiculous things we've heard all of our life. I just feel like the Lord's a million miles away. Well, that's calling God a liar because God said I'm near you. I'm in Christ in you. And we are in Christ. If any man be in Christ, well, does it say both ways? Yeah, and I can't explain it. I'm in Christ, he's in me. That's pretty tight. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's pretty tight. I can't explain, you know, the, the geography of that, but I'm just, I'm in Christ, and you don't go in and out of Christ. I was raised on that crazy schizophrenic, tri-quadpolar Christianism. You know, start out today, I'm doing pretty good. Oh, that guy cut me off. I waved at him with one finger and talked about his mama, and now if the rapture happens, I'll be left here. So, Lord, I repent. I'm asking you, please forgive me for that right there. You know, you know, help him not to drive like an idiot and mean to respond, you know, whatever. And so you would get saved and in and out of the kingdom, you know, 50 times that day. It's exhausting. I'm not, in, I'm not endorsing doing those things. I'm just simply saying that doesn't change your, your geography. You're either in Christ or you're not. And once you're in, you're in. And he knows how to keep that that it's been appointed unto him. So in this year, walk with knowing that you walk under an open heaven, that you have hope for this year, and your hope is in the goodness of God. David said, I would have fainted a long time ago if I had not believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, that I would see good things this year. David said, that's what helped me. It helped me get through tough times. And then I want to say this to you. Any area, listen to me, any area in your life that you don't have hope, I'm talking about any area now in your life that is absent of hope is an area where you believe in a lie. And I don't mean that in a critical way. I'm just meaning that's the absolute truth. And so most, most people remember this story, and I'll just kind of refer to it. But it's in 1 Kings chapter 18 and, and 19, and, and it's Elijah. And remember the great prayer that he prayed on top of Mount Carmel? Remember when he prayed fire down? And then, uh, you know, the fire came and he killed all the prophets, false prophets of Baal and with his own sword. I mean, it was just an amazing story. People love to talk about that, you know, and because Elijah's like mocking them as they, you know, it's a contest really. Okay, well, you go first and you pray to Baal and we'll see if he answers by fire. And uh, the God that answers by fire, you let that God be God. 
And so that was the deal. And God allowed that in that old covenant setting. And, and so here comes Elijah, and, you know, he waters down everything. And, and it wasn't with lighter fluid either, by the way. It was water. And, I mean, he didn't make it easier. I mean, you know, you know it wasn't, he made it harder for fire. But the fire came and consumed everything. And, and it was a great service. It was, it was really good. And after that was over, um, Elijah thought, man, you know, revival has come to this area. And, the, you know, Jezebel, who's been killing prophets and stuff, she's going to see the true God of Israel, and she's going to repent. She's going to be different, and we're going to have a great, it's going to be wonderful. And so uh, he's got a real energy to pray, you know, for the rain to come, because it hadn't rained in three and a half years. And if we didn't have the book of James, we wouldn't know that Elijah's a guy that prayed for it not to rain. And uh, sometimes the only way people can really wake up is the fact that it hits them in their paycheck. I'm not saying God does that, but I'm saying without rain, you don't get crops. Without crops, you don't get to sell or eat. And, and it just affects everything. And, and so this, the, 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 the known world of them was really suffering. And remember, Elijah goes to the cave and he sends the servant out while he just keeps praying. And he's there looking for that coming rain. And he sees a cloud the size of a man's hand, and he gets real excited. And he actually girds up, it says, and he outruns. Now listen to this. This is all in the book. You read it. But he outruns a horse and chariot all the way to Jezreel, which is 26 miles. That's a pretty good run. And the fact that you outrun a horse and chariot even makes it better. How many can say supernatural power needed to accomplish that? And why is he so excited to get to Jezreel? Because he wants to see Ahab and, and Jezebel's reaction to the move of God. But when he gets there, he meets her servants. And they're like, come here. Jezebel told me to tell you, prophet, set your clock. Because by this time tomorrow, you will be a dead man. She swears that. So this great, mighty, powerful prophet that prayed fire down, believed in everything God was doing and saying, then it says this in verse 1 of 1 Kings 19, he ran for his life. Now listen to what it says. Don't miss this. It says, when Elijah saw that, he ran for his life. Did you catch the word? It didn't say when Elijah heard it. It said when Elijah saw that. You know what you and I have the capacity to do? Go ahead and play at her funeral. Play us suffering with an incurable disease on our deathbed. In other words, when we hear bad news, we see it. And when Elijah heard her say, in 24 hours, you're going to be dead, he saw it. And when Elijah saw it, he ran for his life. See, what you, what you believe will affect what you see, and what you see will make what your feet do. And he saw his demise. He saw his death. Now, this is the same guy that pulled a sword and killed 400 prophets on his own. I mean, that's Rambo. That's Rambo stuff, man. By himself, he did that. How you kill 400 people by yourself? Rambo can't kill 400 at one time. But now, <coughs> one woman threatens him, and he runs like a chicken. I've been amazed what's made me run in my Christian life. There's times, man, I felt so powerful with the Lord. God can do anything. And then there's times just the least little bit of bad news, the least little change in the ledger of my checkbook, the least little thing really in comparison to eternal things made me run like a chicken. I know you have, but just pray for me and my feathers. Been amazed at what I've run from. And when he did run, he ran a long, long ways. Many, many miles. And then he got in a cave and he prayed and he says this. Listen, I'm about done. He says, God, it is enough. I want to die. I'm done. I was kidding myself, man. I, I, I'm no better than my father's. I, I, th I thought I could be the different guy. I, I thought I could be used of you. I thought I could be different in my family. I, I thought I could make a difference, man. But I alone am left. Remember that phrase, I, how? 
Some of you think you're alone. My wife knows this. I remember one time years ago, and really it was at that bottom place in my Christian walk as a minister that, that it was out of that kind of the ashes of a lot of messed up thinking I'd had. I remember one night my wife was all, you know, one thing she's always got on my nerves about is she's always been hopeful. Caught that, huh? Even when I didn't want her to be. I want her to commiserate with my misery, to join me in my despair. And she just has always, you know, she's just always been hopeful most of the time. She's had her days. She's had her moments. I've had my years of hopelessness. Really, I'm serious. But I remember one time, she remembers this, and she didn't like that season. She was really worried about me. I wasn't pastoring you guys, so, but I hit it good. But really, when I came to the pulpits on Sunday where I was pastoring, I felt like such a hypocrite. <laughs> Boy, this stuff ain't in the notes. I should stay with the notes. Be but I felt such like a hypocrite because I was trying to stand up before people and tell them how great and good God was, how faithful he was, and yet it didn't seem like it was paying out in my life. My daily walk with God was anything but fruitful and blessed and prosperous and all that stuff. And, and it just made me feel like a hypocrite. It's tough. And we know we'd wanted God to do a lot of things. I had my list for him. So I put my house up for sale, you know, because we wanted to, to move. And I, I just couldn't keep up with that much acreage. I loved it, raising my kids there. But 30 acres, you know, it was a lot to keep up. All of them were grown and gone. So it wasn't near as fun mowing, you know, a lot of acreage anymore and it's getting old. Anyway, so I, anyway, I want to make a change. So I'm putting my house up. I'm thinking it's going to sell, you know. I mean, I'm a child of God. It'll probably be on the market a month or two. Wouldn't you know that when I put my sign out in the front yard that the real estate market crashes? I mean, if I'd have put it out six months before, come on, we could have snuck it in there before it. It crashed, banks were folding up, glory to God. But you know, that still didn't bother me. Oh, glory to God, I'm a child of God, mine are sale. Hallelujah, because my daddy's Jesus. And the sign is rusting in the ground. How many years? I don't want to exaggerate the years. Six, six years later. And it wasn't just the, the, the needing, you know, wanting it to sell for move on, new adventure, it was needing it to sell because of pressure of financial burden. Drowning you. Crushing you. <laughs> because of other things, you know, that had happened in life. and I had loaned considerable amounts of money to people that, that wasn't able to pay it back. And a lot of things, you know, that was going on in my life and then you feel like, well, you know, and then I kind of thought like God's the kind of God like, you know, you made your bed, he let you lay in it. You're reaping what you sow. And all those kind of wrong, and I had a lot of wrong views with God. And I remember one night, you know, I, I was just enumerating a lack of faith. I know you've never done this. Don't follow my pattern, okay? But I was, I was you know, I was saying things that wasn't good language of the Spirit, speaking defeat and that, you know, and I just was like, you know, you start out with those expressions, I don't understand why God, and then you fill in the blanks, okay? And uh, so I was just, and I remember my wife said, you know, Lord's help, you know, Lord's going to help us, this and that, whatever. And I remember a man with all the seriousness I could ever muster. I looked at her and I said, we own our own. I said, when it comes to finances, we're on our own. God ain't lifting a finger. And I walked out the back door. And my wife, she ain't never heard me talk like She just, and I didn't realize, I didn't know years later, she'd get on the phone to my grown kids. And I'm worried about your daddy. I don't know about your daddy. I'm worried about you. Y'all pray for him, you know. Had never listened to country music in my life, not because I thought it was bad or nothing like that. But man, you know, and I listen to it now some. I mean, whatever, you know. But, uh, but, in, but she knows up to then, I never listened to it. I couldn't tell you who was singing what. Night after night, week after week, month after month, all I wanted to do is sit out in the dark, play country music. I live way out in the country anyway, so I play it loud as I want to, and don't nobody look at me, bother me, or talk to me. 
No, I ain't reading the Bible. I don't feel like it. I ain't going to pray because it don't do no good. I know you ain't never had these kind of thoughts. but And some of you wonder where the grace message come from. This is the soul that birthed it. This is the soul that birthed it. Because the enemy will lie to you. And he uses religion to accuse you. He is called the accuser of the brethren. Not the accuser of the sinner, but of the brethren. And he uses the law to accuse you. And he uses the things in your life to accuse you. And the thing I'm trying to get you to see, that any area that you feel hopeless in, I'm just trying to get you to see that that is an area where there is a lie. And you can, you can be on your way to heaven and, and love God. God sure loves you. But yet in some area of your life, it could be financial, it could be in marriage, it could be in law. It could be how you view yourself, but you believe a lie. And, 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 what, and don't read the Bible this year. Let it read you. More than us reading the Bible, it reads us. And I mean not in a judgmental way, but it reveals those areas where we have believed lies about ourselves, about God, about church, finances, family, marriage, everything else. And, and that's what sets us free. Jesus said, you'll know the truth. And that truth that you know, that'll make you free in that area. Is that right? And, and so listen, the point is this. Remember Elijah? Okay, what set him up for such severe depression that he begged God to kill him? I mean, you can't say that God didn't know God. You can't say that he didn't have a relationship with God and had favor with God. And you can't say that he hadn't seen the power of God in such a tremendous way. It's like one of the landmarks. That's kind of like Moses going through the Red Sea. I mean, Mount Carmel. I mean, that's right up there. Okay? But yet here after that, he's praying to die. That is depression severe. And God kept coming to him. He came to him three different times. And God is such a good God. And God is a God of grace even in the old covenant. And he comes to him and he sees him in the cave. And he says, what, what, what are you doing? Where are you? And he would rehearse his speech. I alone am left. What set him up? What made the depression so severe? And what, what made his fall so sudden? Listen, because residing in that great prophet. Listen, before he went to Mount Carmel. A lot of people miss this. But before he ever went to Mount Carmel. He believed a lie, and it's recorded in the Bible. Before he ever went to Mount Carmel and prayed that prayer, this is what he said. He said, I alone and left. That's what he said. He said, I'm the only one that's going to get this done. If I don't get it done, it ain't going to happen. I remember hearing a preacher say that on television, that I alone am the only one that's going to evangelize America, and if I don't do it, God has shown me that it won't get done. I knew then he was lying. Maybe not intentionally. But the only person God has ever banked and put all his eggs in is Jesus. <laughs> Nobody else. Nobody else. And, and, and I don't glory in that man's, but he, he didn't stay on the air. I don't glory in that. I'm just saying it, it, the gospel is going to go on because it's in Christ. It's not in, in a ministry or a person or even a church or nothing like that. So all I'm saying is this. Elijah, in his heart, believe something that wasn't true he said I alone am left and because he believed the lie when it didn't turn out like he wanted it then that opened him up for severe depression now listen to me I understand what it is a lot of things I tell people I, mean, I don't know what you're going through and I'm, I am so careful trying not to ever do that um, but let me tell you something about depression I, I got several t-shirts from that ride I know what that's like I know what it's like to be so depressed that a doctor will look at you and tell you if you don't break the depression, you will physically die. And that's no joke. And I was 26 years old when he told me that. And if I thought I could have break it, I'd have done broke it. You know, like, like snap out of it or pull yourself up by your bootstraps. None of that helped me. I just made it worse. But I was believing a lie about so many things. And the enemy traffics in and out of those lies that we believe in our life. In and out of those lies. And so he believed I'm the only one. But you know what God does? What does God do with lies? He tells you the truth. Now, what God did with Elijah, well, he was real patient. He comes saying, what are you doing in case? He said, I'm the only one left. He goes through that and God said, well, just take a nap. You look like you need a nap. Go to sleep. I'm telling you, sometimes you just need to take a nap. Things look better. Get a nap. Get some sleep. Things are worse when you don't get, you know, that's why you're grouchy. Eat a biscuit and take a nap. Glory to God. 
And then God comes to him a second time. And he says, what are you doing, son? And this is where God feeds him. He says, here, eat this, drink this. Journey's too great for you, man. Get in the Word of God. Drink the water of the Spirit. Come on. Go back to sleep. I'll be back. Third time. Listen, third time God comes to him. God says, what are you doing here? He, re- he goes through the same, I'm alone and left. I'm the only one. I'm no better than my father's. God doesn't be mean to him. God doesn't say, you idiot. God doesn't say, I'm sick of hearing that. God doesn't do any of that. This is what God does. <clears throat> he says, now, you know, I think you're strong enough now because you've had a good nap. I fed you real good. And now I want to tell you the truth. And I think you can receive it now because you're a little better now than you was, you know, like three days ago when I came. So listen, this is what he says. You're not the only one left. <laughs> That's not true, son. I got 7,000 people that ain't even never one time bowed their knee to Baal. You know what Elijah did? 7,000. You mean I got, you got 7,000 ain't even bowed their knee? Who that's my bad, God? I thought I was the only one. You know what I'm saying? And the Bible said he gets up. He walks out of the cave. Surprise, surprise. Look what truth does to you. Look what truth does to you. It'll make you get up. It'll make you walk out of that cave of despair, depression, oppression. It'll make you walk out of that old life. Because why? Because you know the truth. I'm not the only one. It's not all on my shoulders. I don't have to be the Superman here. It's it's on God. I'm not the only guy. I'm not the only one. I don't have to win this city by myself. I'm not the only pastor. I'm not the only church. I'm not the only one. I'm not the only one in this, and you're not alone in 2019. And it's not on you, it's on Jesus. And all of it was placed upon him on the cross, and you have been, you've been freed from that. And so all I want to tell you, see, now when you come to the Bible, yes, yes, when you come to the house of God, you are hearing the truth, hopefully wherever you go, of the word of God. And that truth that you believe in will make you free. That's what's going to do it. That, that's what sets people free. And, and, and I pray that for all, for me and for all of us. And I, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, Pastor L.A. used to tell me that I, you know, I'm too transparent. And I, I've never been cured of that. But I, I just want you to know, man, I know what it is in a lot of ways to just get right down to the bottom. And I remember back in, in when that was going on in my life and me pastoring every week. But I got to a place, and I don't know, just God's goodness, I realized that it wasn't on him, it was on me, and that I had some messed up views of him. And I just sincerely said, God, show me who you are. And it's then, I don't know why it took so many years. I mean, it, it, was, it was long happening before, but, but then it was like a tidal wave of, of God's goodness just began to flood me revelation of grace I found out I'm forgiven I'm accepted, I'm beloved I'm loved of God, I'm favored of the Lord, nothing that I ever do or don't do, nothing changes. change and all that was a big revelation for me and man when I got a hold of that I was like a kid with a candy man I was, and I've been wanting to tell everybody about it every Sunday ever since it, it wasn't on him it was on me I remember I had something like a death New, I mean, it wasn't death with a physical, but I remember that one that time. I, I, you know, it was such a, a hard place in in my life. But I used to, I was started reading all these verses about goodness, and I just feel like I didn't see it. But but listen, our world that you and I live in is framed by the words that we speak. Now that gal on the front row is quick to correct me. I told you that last Sunday, she wasn't even here. I didn't call her who it was, but she's quick to say, now what did you just say? Or that doesn't sound like victory or because <laughs> I can still go there. I'm not near as bad as I used to be. But you need people in your life and around you that have permission to call your hand on your lack of faith and speaking on the wrong place. Amen? Would you stand with me? Do you receive the word of God today? Would you give God praise if you do? Elders, ministry team, elders and wives, please come down in case someone wants prayer today. We're
always honored to pray for you and with you about anything. Man, the greatest thing can happen today is if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and you put your faith in him and trust in him and believe in him. Can the church say amen to that? That's the best move that somebody can do to start out the new year is put your faith in Jesus Christ and believe in his goodness. Believe in him. Trust in him. Walk this 2019 in, in this year knowing, knowing, not, not trying to believe it, but knowing that you walk under that open heaven, that the goodness of God is your foundation, that, that that's what your faith is in, is in a person, and he's unchanging. And that you are going to say and align your language up with, with what you say you believe. That's in his abundance of grace. And you know what we're going to do if you do that? Because it ain't based on what you're doing. It's, the, it's on the abundance of grace that you receive. And I love the way God uses It's abundance of grace. You know, that's why it says this, where sin doth abound. What does it say? Grace doth what? Here we go again. Much more abound. And if you study that in the Greek, it says sin doth abound. It means sin can be counted. In other words, it actually could be counted. There's a number where it could be counted. But the word much more, translated in English, much more, grace shall much more abound, is uncountable. Can't, can't be measured. Can't be weighed. It can't be fathomed. That's what the grace of God is. And when you walk with that knowledge, I don't care, man, life's still going to come at you. You know, I mean, this ain't heaven yet. But you, you approach it not from a victim mentality, but from a son and daughter of the Most High God, and you have faith in him that that he has promised he's going to fulfill in your life. And I, too, I want to reign in life. I don't want life reigning over me, right? And to do that, we need to believe what God says about us. That's why we're doing this series, reframing. You can have the most beautiful picture in the world, but if you put a raggedy frame around it, nobody's going to pay it much attention. And what we frame our world in is our words. And our language must line up with what God says about us and not what our family. I love the way we're talking up here today. And when Pastor John exhorting us, God's got a name for you. God's got a name for you. You go by that. Amen. Y'all need to smile real big because I've told you a whole bucket load of good news today. Come on, smile at somebody. Amen. Give them, give them a big smile. Well, I'm going to pray as we do around here. Love you guys. Happy New Year. Going to dismiss the congregation. Listen, if you're here and you want prayer for any reason, we're here to serve you. It's our honor to pray with you. And uh, so you come this way if you want prayer. And if not, just fellowship with your, with your church family. Amen. Father, we love you. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for the hope that's in this brand new year. Thank you for this new season. And, Lord, we give you glory and praise for what you're doing in and through our lives in 2019. Amen. God bless you. We love you. If you want prayer, come up. We'll be glad to pray with you.